Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Episode 4 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's weekly awards podcast. I'm Scott Feinberg, and I am pleased to be joined on this episode by the writer, director, and star of a new movie that's just opened in select cities. It's going to be expanding soon. It's called 99 Homes. Uh, the filmmaker is Ramin Barani. The star is Michael Shannon. Barani has been called the director of the decade by Roger Ebert uh, shortly before he passed away, and... Michael Shannon, you know, as if not as General Zod from the Superman uh, movies, then certainly as an Oscar nominated character actor who's been in all kinds of things recognized for Revolutionary Road and many others take shelter and the Iceman and the list goes on. They are here in New York for various reasons. The reason I'm here is the New York Film Festival, the 53rd, is now underway. It got underway on Saturday night rather than Friday, which is the usual way of things because the Pope decided to come to town. So on Saturday night, the festival kicked off with the world premiere in 3D of Robert Zemeckis' The Walk, which stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Philippe Petit, the subject of the Oscar-winning documentary from 2008 called Man on Wire. This is the guy that walked between the World Trade Centers in 1974, and Robert Zemeckis, through the power of 3D and visual effects, puts you right up on the wire with him, which is a interesting place to be for some people it was a little much there were there was some vomiting happening uh in the bathrooms after that sequence in the movie but a very interesting movie that's that's going to certainly be a contender in below the line categories such as visual effects maybe sound and some others and we'll see about the above the line categories sony would love for that to be the case but it's a very competitive year in picture and actor so we'll see the festival here has also already now screened the martian which had premiered previously in Toronto and went over here very well as well and coincidentally showed here the night before it was revealed that water has been found on Mars and on the night of the eclipse. So space was on a lot of people's mind at at that time and that can only help. Also screening here already has been more New York Film Festival kinds of movies, the foreign language movies, documentaries, and then just plain eccentric out there movies like The Lobster, which premiered in Cannes and then came here. It's an English-language movie that I saw and really enjoyed. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the filmmaker's name, but you know Colin Farrell and you know Rachel Weisz and some of the other folks who are in it, um, Olivia Coleman. Really interesting, worth seeing, probably not an awards movie like a lot of movies at this festival, but definitely an interesting one. 
And then uh, I'm also playing catch up here with some of the awards hopeful movies that I did not see earlier and that are not at the festival but are at the Great Lincoln Plaza Cinemas right across from Lincoln Center where most of the festival is happening. So there you can see right now Grandma, Time Out of Mind, the new Steve Jobs documentary from Alex Gibney, and a host of others. So it's been a very film-centric week, and now time to talk about probably the best movie that opened this past weekend, again, 99 Homes. And here is my conversation with writer-director Ramin Barani and Oscar-nominated actor Michael Shannon. Me and Michael, thank you guys very much for coming in and doing this. We are talking on the day after the opening weekend of this movie, and so I just want to ask you, what's it like? You've sent your baby off into the world. Um, Ramin, how, how do you feel? Yeah, I feel really strong. I mean, the press was, you know, exceptionally good. Um, so that was very, very good to see. Um, the New York Times, A.O. A. Scott, Tony Scott's review was really a real great boost for the film. And I think the exit polls were exceptionally high. And, you know, it's a word-of-mouth film. So I think the, the Broad Green and the team were very happy with the exit polling. And, and our numbers were pretty good, actually. So it was all, all good news. And this is in spite of the fact that the Pope came in and disrupted the plan yeah. here. This this was just uh, rolling out slowly in New York before expanding, and this was dropped on you guys. <laughs> yeah, we only had New York City this week, two screens here. And, and on Friday, just you could not move anywhere in the city. So <laughs> if you didn't live in walking distance to these two theaters, nobody could get there or go. Right. So we, we were hurt on Friday, but it boosted on Saturday, and we did very well Sunday. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Pope, for, for that. Um, <laughs> but he is a good Pope. <laughs> he is a good Pope. I was pope. <laughs> not happy about him being here Friday, but I really like this Pope. Um, now, Ramin, for you, this movie is the probably the biggest project that you've been a part of so far, right? I mean, you've done all of your earlier films uh with the possible exception which you've talked about of at any price were were just so well received and even that one is very interesting and worth seeing i just wonder if you can talk about though why you chose to to do a project about this subject matter but also this sort of a project where having in you know in the past there'd been a lot of your movies had not had professional actors um had not been of this size and it still retains the kind of neo-realist feel i think of of your earlier movies, but how did it evolve into this form for you? Yeah, I mean, initially it was just how did the world turn upside down in the housing crisis and um, went down to Florida, did a lot of research. And, you know, initially when you hear foreclosure movie, I thought when I went down there it was going to be a drama, a kind of slow, uh, tough drama. But going to Florida, I was very surprised by what I saw. Um, the The corruption was mind-boggling this kind of deal with the devil story took shape very quickly. I knew it was going to be a very fast film, a thrilling film, because it was fast. What was happening to real people was happening at, an, at a very high speed. Before you knew it, you were out of your home. You were out of foreclosure court. You were in a motel. You had no job. You couldn't sleep at night. It was just relentless pace for the people. Um, there were so many facets to it. I knew that I would need a, a larger budget to make the film. The The characters that we were writing... You know, especially um, Michael Shannon's role. This was something I needed. I needed a, a kind of a gem. I needed a real, a real actor to get in there and and not only to execute what I wrote, but hopefully to make it much more than what I had written. And and fortunately, that's what the actors did here. And and Michael, who's with me now, really just elevated that part to more than I had imagined on the page. And Michael, when did you? When did Ramin, as a filmmaker, first cross your radar? And and how did this particular um, project come to your attention? 
I met Ramin at the Venice Film Festival. I believe it was in 2009, right? Yeah. And uh, you were on the jury there, I believe. Yes. And um, you had a film there called Plastic Bag. It's a short film um, about a plastic bag trying to make its way back to its homeland, which is this giant island of plastic that's floating mm -hmm. around in the Pacific Ocean. Something that Pope would be against. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a, a real thing. But um, the voice of the plastic bag was Werner Herzog, and um, I was there with two of Werner's movies at the festival. So that's how we crossed paths. And um, Well, I grabbed Michael in the lobby. He didn't know who I was. I just said, you were one of the greatest actors living today, and I have to work with you. And he just stared at me and said, who are you? <laughs> and, um, but after I saw your movie... Didn't I scream down yes. from the balcony of the yeah. hotel? I was coming to the hotel, and someone kept screaming, A plastic bag! <laughs> yes, I'll work with you. And I was just looking around, and three stories up, there was Michael hanging out of a window. Oh, that's great. And so. we had dinner, and now cut to however many years later. No, I, I highly recommend this film, Plastic Bag, to anyone who hasn't seen it. It's, it's a real... It might be one of my favorite movies ever. Wow. So that was enough to convinced me that Ramin was worth working with yeah and then um I don't know you sent the script we're, we're both at the same agency and Ramin called my agents up and said uh, I got to sting 99 homes I'd like to meet with Michael we met in uh Ramin and I met in Brooklyn at Frankie's 457 on Court Street <laughs> and at the time we were just um just talking about the script there wasn't any particular part in mind I mean um, I would have played anybody in this movie I, I, I love the script so much I had considered him for um, Noah's part and his <laughs> son shut up <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair to be I mean Ramin I think always gets embarrassed when I say this but when we were talking about it initially it was like I think Carver's got to be somebody like you know a big star you know like Tom Cruise or somebody somebody slick you know <laughs> and then like a month later he's like no, I think you should be Carver. <laughs> I was like, what did I do? Did I crop up in your dreams or something? What happened? That's a pretty big uh, pressure drop. Well, Ramin, what, what made you think uh, of Michael for that particular part versus another? You know, one of the others that you'd... Well, I really believe Michael to be one of the greatest actors, and I had seen him on stage doing a, a play, kind of a one-man play um, called Mistakes Were Made, and that was when I saw how versatile he was. He was so good there in, in doing comedic work. And the more I got to know him, the more I saw he had a very sarcastic sense of humor, which I appreciate very much, a very dry humor. And got um, that right, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he was also exceptionally handsome. Like, he was always going to the beach with his daughters, who he loves more than anything. And he was very tan, and he looked like a god. Like, and I was like, why isn't this guy handsome and charming in movies? Why Why does he always get cast as like a a mean bad guy and <laughs> in my movie I just don't see Rick Carver as a bad guy I, I see him as a product of the system I think the system is the real villain here it's so I think clear in the film and Michael's character I wanted it to be a real transformation some, doing something very different talking a lot being very slick looking very handsome being very seductive you know having a lot of kind of sarcastic humor and, and, and I rewrote a lot of that when he said he would um, be in the film and then of course Michael improvised some of that mm. there was room for that in the film and some of the very good lines Michael improvising on set well let's take this opportunity for people who haven't yet seen the movie to just 
share a little bit about who Mr. Carver is and what he what he sort of represents in the movie. Uh, Michael, can you kind of summarize uh, a little bit about your character? Of course. Uh, Rick Carver is a real estate broker in the Orlando area uh, in Florida. And um, when the foreclosure crisis hit, uh, he was assigned the task of doing evictions and assigned to do a lot of them. Um, I liken it to the bubonic plague. Somebody had to go clean the bodies off the streets, and that's what he does. Mm. Um, and he is uh, he receives a lot of uh, animosity from people, obviously, because he's the one who shows up and kicks them out of their house. But um, he's dealing with a very complicated situation, and um, I don't know, he's He's doing the best he can. I mean, Ramin is, is very uh, swift to point out that I, I, I can't help but feel empathy for my characters, which is true all the time. I mean, even when I played Richard Kuklinski in mm-hmm. Iceman, <laughs> I would always Serial say, w- w- what a sad story. Right. <laughs> that guy was really sad. So, I mean, that's... But is there that's something... That's my way that? of looking at things, I guess. Do you feel that you have to... You have to empathize with with the person in order to play them. I don't feel like I have to do anything. Yeah, I mean, except like you know, live and die. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> uh, I I can't help myself. I mean, I met a guy when I was doing research mm-hmm. that was in the same position as Rick, and I felt very sorry for him, mm-hmm. and continue to. I mean, mm-hmm. he has a very hard life, and um, he's. He, he deals with a lot of angst. Yeah, I mean, the film is is really inspired by true events, by things that I've witnessed, seen. I did a lot of research for this mm-hmm. film down in Florida. Um, and Michael and Andrew both were willing to go down there. They did a lot of research, mm-hmm. meeting people, meeting people I put them in touch with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for Michael's character, we have to remember, it's not like anybody in kindergarten raised their hand and said, you know, teacher, teacher, I can't wait to do evictions one day, <laughs> you know. It became the real estate broker's right. job. They didn't ask to do it. It was just that became their job, and if they didn't do it, someone else would. And then they'd be out of a job, and then they'd be living in a motel right. next to Andrew and Laura. You know? Well, the, the thing that's, to me, kind of uh, an interesting – one of the interesting dilemmas that the movie raises is that if Rick wasn't doing this, somebody else would be doing it. Also, what he's doing is not inherently wrong. While it's on, While these people are in terrible situations, they did, in fact – default on their mortgages right and where he gets over the line is when he starts to manipulate things uh which to some we won't give any further details but that happens but but am i right to say that you know if rick wasn't doing this somebody else would and and the job inherently is not it's not pleasant but it's not anything inherently wrong about it well i think you know i i think it's a mixture i mean there are some people look we live in a culture where people spend money they don't have on things they don't need Mm mm-hmm I mean, it's an epidemic. Everybody does it. I do it. Mm-hmm. I do it all the time. <laughs> and uh, so that's, you know, people do have to accept some responsibility. However, the banks and the regulations themselves are so incomprehensible and confusing. that They're designed to, yeah. to, to make it so that people cannot, they can't handle it, you know. I mean, am I right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with all that. I mean, next to that, you have predatory lending. You have, you know, a lot of fraud. 
you have um, regulations that have been totally inept since 79 onwards. But all, all, all of this is, you know, all of this is a topic for now. And in the film, thank God the film sticks to the characters. Right. You know, thank God it, it's really the the crisis, the moral crisis Andrew's character's in and his relationship with Michael. You know, for me in writing it, it was just how can how can I focus on Michael and Andrew's relationship, you know, uh, mentor-apprentice relationship? And and how can I focus on Andrew and Laura Dern's family life? You know, she's the mom. He, he's a, he's her son. He has a young son. And, again, would you ever do an eviction? If you ask someone, they're going to tell you no. But when you go home and you have a young son, you've got to protect him. He's living mm-hmm. in a motel and he's hungry mm-hmm. and he can't go to his school anymore because you've moved. You're prepared to do a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And as you said, maybe it's okay to evict someone. At the same time, Andrew was tricked by the banks through a system called dual tracking. So even that gets muddy. Right. And the whole film, I know people who've seen the film, usually they, people are extremely tense. They're bouncing around. They're angry. They're, well, let's they're, talk about David Edelstein. This is uh, one critic who's seen it, who sees a lot of movies, and, and I believe you've heard what his reaction was to the eviction. I mean, it was amazing to hear that he had to walk up and down in the back of the cinema during the Dennis Nash, Andrew Garfield's eviction, and mm-hmm. that you know, it was very amazing to hear that. Um, just because it's so tough to watch, right? It's I just upsetting. think it's tense. The movie's yeah. it's it's a thriller. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tense and it's very emotional. You know, these were headlines for America, and, but this story impacted over five million Americans, and that's just being evicted. It, it impacted tens of million more Americans in terms of the financial crisis. We all know how close so many of us were, or our families, or our brothers, sisters were to being in this situation. Yeah. And a big part of the film was to put faces to that to put a story to that people seem shocked by what an eviction actually is mm-hmm. you know michael has a big speech in the film he talks about winners and losers mm-hmm. and now everyone is referencing donald trump in relationship to this film and michael's character mm-hmm. and you know please donald trump watch this movie yeah you know i want him to watch this movie and and what would you hope he learns from it a little bit of empathy mm-hmm. you know and and that there is there is the system is so messed up that it is not so easy to judge people. I agree with Michael. Some people were greedy. I can agree with many other things, too. But the the, the real villain here is the system, and, and we've, I would like you know for people to, to see the film because I think it's important for the country. And it just happens to be entertaining, thank yes. God. Yes, well, and that's the thing that I want to ask you both about uh, is that you know it's a movie that on paper, you might say say a movie about foreclosures sounds like the last thing I want to go spend my free time watching, and yet it does play like a thriller. And I'm wondering if you can get into the forensics of why, of why that is. I mean, I to me, it seems like part of it is obviously the the story is fascinating and and the writing is is excellent and the act, everything, but the camera work, I think the way that it's shot, some of these scenes are are like very long takes where. You don't get a mo- – there's no uh, release. Your, the tension, I think, is built partly through that, and I want to ask you about that. And also um, just the – I think the music is also uh, very, very important. So for, for each of you, I mean, if you, if you can react to that and if I'm missing anything else, what, what makes it such a tense viewing experience? I mean, the script was very fast. Mm-hmm. You know, when I went out with the script and people said foreclosure script, oh, my God <laughs> – Honestly, I gave the script to five investors, and in 24 hours, they all said yes. And it's because they were surprised that they were turning the page so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So the script moves fast. The Faust story, the deal with the devil story, is a trusted and true one that we go back to because we see things in it that 
we can connect to. Mm-hmm. There's so many scams in the film. It's always surprising. You never quite know where it's going to mm-hmm. go. It's completely the opposite of what you expect when you hear foreclosure film. From the opening shot onwards, the opening shot is a very stylized, long, three-minute Steadicam shot of Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon doing genius stuff like a slot machine shooting out endless gold coins for three (laughs) minutes, you know. Um, And next to these very stylized camera work and stylized dialogue, there's also handheld and, as you said earlier, neorealist work or very realistic work. And the film, for me, was a step towards combining stylization, which is new for me, with my previous work, which was more realistic in tone, mm-hmm. and how to make those two things merge into one mm-hmm. film. Well, the two linchpins there were Bobby Bukowski and Alex D. Alex D. Orlando. Yes. Yeah. And also Megan Kasperlick, the costume designer, yes. and then the composers, as Scott mentioned. Who okay. were the first folks that you mentioned there was a cinematographer? Bobby Bukowski, amazing cinematographer, mm-hmm. and then Alex D. Orlando. He shot Iceman, too. Yeah. Oh, really? So it's my second around. time yeah. with Bobby. I love yeah. him. He shot uh, The Messenger as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. He does all Orange movies. Orange oh, movies, films, yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? <sighs> Ooh, a book club. <sighs> Computer solitaire, huh? <sighs> Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Michael, what's it like for you when you're doing some of those long takes, like the opening scene, like some of the others? It's fascinating for us to watch. Do you like that though, where you? kind of uh you're on you have to be on for that amount of time well it's stressful it's stressful knowing that it's the opening of the movie yeah i mean i the second ramin said we're going to do this in one shot i knew exactly what he was going for mm-hmm. i knew why he was doing it it totally made sense but you know i like most actors am hypercritical of myself <laughs> so um it was hard to walk away after a cut and feel like Oh, that's good enough. <laughs> That'll work. You know. <laughs> How so many we takes? did it? Uh, Seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Does that feel like a workout? Is that grueling to do? I was seeing stars by the end. <laughs> yeah. Although I would have done it another. You would have done five times. He yeah. would have done forty-five. I would have done it all day long. Yeah. We wow. actually want that wasn't the only scene we did that day. No. Wow! Wow! We did another scene that afternoon. Yeah, I had to go shoot the elderly man's eviction. Oh that God! Same day. Wow. Shot that Long one very day quick. for Rami. Yeah. Jesus, forget about me. Well, for for the whole group, uh, and um, just for a point of reference, because it, it was, I think it's only eight million dollar movie, right? A little less, a little even. less. Yeah. Uh, so, but I imagine you had a tight schedule. That's why you're doing like thirty two days. Thirty two days. Yeah. Um, what was it like for for you guys? How what was, how did you set it up so that I mean, again, the 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 guy who Michael first evicts is played by Andrew Garfield. And then Andrew Garfield's character, uh, as we've sort of hinted at, comes under my wing. Comes under yes. his wing. Uh, did you? What was what was your interaction with Andrew Garfield like during the time that you guys were down there shooting the movie? Was it? How did you know? Was this very uh, method sort of avoid each other or whatever off, off when the cameras weren't rolling, or how did you guys approach it? We just kind of did the work. I mean, I don't know, like. I don't know how else we would have done it. I mean, we spend all day together, so when we get to leave, we usually 
go yeah. our separate yeah. ways, you know? I mean, that's a, I, I mean, I wouldn't hang out with that. After oh. work, I would get the hell away from everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I think we as had. As quickly as right, possible. Right. During the shoot, I think we only had dinner two, three times. You and yeah. I was just exhausted. Yeah, I would just go by myself and have a quick dinner and then go to bed. I mean, it's like, um. You know, their acting styles were very different, Michael and Andrew, and that was very exciting um, and challenging sometimes. Yeah. You know, a- Andrew's very loose, very improvisational. He wants to change things every single take, searching for something. And Michael has a strong sense of what he wants to do. Um, and that created electricity on set. And, you know, my job in, as the director was to let them both happen at the same time, which was sometimes not easy, but yeah. it worked. And, you know, deep down the actors respected one another's work. Um, I think Andrew was like, please get Michael Shannon for this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Michael was also a fan. And, and um, so that's also important because the characters in the film have some underlying respect for one right. another or they wouldn't work together. Right. Or they need, yeah. They, yeah. Uh, they and that, that was exciting, you know. And it, oddly, again, it's like, although Michael wasn't, didn't really want to do improvisation, he ended up right. being so damn good at it. Yeah. You know, like he's got some of the great, great lines in the film. Oh, but he, so. he's always adding something to the film. Like he's got a very big speech. Um, I thought it was a great performance, great take. We did one take, great. And I went up and I said, Michael, I think the speech is missing something, and it's a line of dialogue. I think there should be a line that would start the speech. And um, he said, I have an idea. Came back, take two. He did it. I'm smiling at the monitor. Why? Because I've heard this line from the real real estate broker Uh, down in Florida. Wow. And I went up to Michael. I said, did he tell you this line? And he said, yeah, he did. I said, well, he told me as well. (laughs) But it was Michael on the day under the pressure of the day can pull it out of thin air and just right. deliver the perfect line and the line was who wouldn't rather put someone in a home than drag him out of it mm-hmm. and you line. realize that's a real estate broker he didn't sign up to do this right. even the last line of the film Michael improvised that's, that's amazing and and as you say there are endless great lines I thought the one about uh, I'm going to get it I'm going to blitz it but it was something like uh, I'm not missing that arc I'm not missing oh, those arc, arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I thought that was that was perfectly yeah. explains what kind of a guy you're dealing with no it's a beautiful I you know that's the that's the conundrum only one in a hundred is going to get on that that's yeah. yeah and I'm not going to I'm not going to drown yes yeah. yes. Nine at Homes is about in many ways is a, is a, it references the home big hundred home deal they're working on but also it's about 99% about wealth, massive wealth inequality which mm-hmm. again everyone in the country can understand everyone in the world can understand mm-hmm. that and that's creating a lot of the pressures in the film and a lot of pressures in our lives and it creates a lot of the tension in the film. Now, you, it's interesting because there are some similarities with At Any Price, your last film, in terms of the idea of protecting what's yours and all of that. And uh, you've said uh, to me that um, you don't feel you could have made this movie without having made that movie. Can you expand on that, Remy? Well, my first three films were, with, as we talked about, with mm-hmm. non-professional actors for the most part, not always, but for the most part, they were all made for under under a million bucks, sometimes even under two hundred thousand dollars. My first film was only one hundred fifty grand. Um, At any price, was the first film with a larger budget, with you know amazing actors, professional actors that were very you know Dennis Quaid, mm-hmm. so talented, and Zach, and so many others. Um, Clancy Brown, who pops up in this film too, mm-hmm. and it was a larger scope, larger budget, larger crew, bigger ambitions of storytelling, and you know I think a lot of it worked. Uh, I think a lot of it worked very well, um, and there were lessons learned that I was able to put into this film. The same as now, I see things that I want to do. I like to do things different, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to make the same film over and over again. 
ultimately, I think filmmakers are making the same, thematically the same anxieties coming up over and <laughs> over again. But I like to experiment, you know, the way that Taxi Driver and Age of Innocence are so different. Uh-huh. But it's so clearly the same great filmmakers uh-huh. making that. Well, one of the other things that comes from that earlier work of yours is that uh, some of the some of the people who are being evicted and maybe other characters in the movie, I don't know, are non-actors. And I, Michael, from your your experience on this film, what does that bring to the to the movie? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's it's so valuable. I mean, for me specifically, uh, the fellow who plays my sheriff who comes with me on the evictions. Mm-hmm is an actual sheriff who's done evictions and having him by my side uh, it just I think it gave not only me but everybody a tremendous sense of confidence that we wouldn't uh, do something unreal Mm -hmm. you know he would keep us in line he knew anytime somebody had a question like well how does this happen or what do you say here he knew you know right he was also an actor. He's also a skilled actor. Yeah. Really? He's done other films. Wow. He's a skilled actor. But he added this other thing, which was he's done this before. He's done evictions. He's a real sheriff. That's so amazing. he was a great mix of both. Yeah. The clean-out crew in that scene, those are all, except for one, they're all real clean-out crew. Wow. I have no qualms about where, I, 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 as far as I'm concerned, we're all actors. I mean, none of us is, is, is getting to be 100% completely ourselves at any given point in time so you know i don't have there's no like line in the sand like how dare you come do a scene with me you're not an actor you know i mean everybody knows the deal and when andrew's knocking on doors doing all those evictions yep. every other person was a, a, a non-actor living in their and that's actually their home wow um Did andrew i never know that who no, was gonna be there? no i never told andrew who was behind the door actor or not wow. i also just didn't tell him what was going to happen Really? No, he had his script as a real estate broker. It's not even a script that, like, in those scenes, he's just got procedures he's got to to rattle off. So he off. was told to just roll with it as yeah. that character. That's right. Wow. That's right. So if it was a Hispanic uh, character who didn't speak English, that's one. An elderly man, a man with a gun, whatever it was, he would have to deal with that situation as it hit him. Um, and I would just give him the information he needed. What What is? What are the details of the the you know, the, the contracts, just what are the details of what, what a mortgage broker would say mm-hmm. in this situation or a real estate broker would say in that situation. Wow. The rest he was just dealing with it as it happened. And, Michael, prior to this movie, had what was the closest to this way of working that you'd been a part of yourself on a movie? Uh, you know, uh, working with Jeff, probably Jeff Nichols, yeah. like when we did Shotgun Stories. Mm-hmm. Um, was Take Shelter the same way? Well, I mean, Take Shelter has... Jessica Chastain, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. debatably one of the biggest movie stars on earth right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, but I mean, Shotgun Stories was literally like me and some of Jeff's homies. Oh well, so I, I see what you're saying. I, yeah. I I don't mean only in the sense of non-actors. I just mean the st- the way of of making of working with Romaine oh. overall. Oh, I see. Well, yeah, I mean that would be the 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 closest parallel I could draw with mm-hmm. Jeff. I mean, mm-hmm. Jeff and Ramin are. They're just two people I really look up to and admire because mm-hmm. I, you know, honestly, I think the actors, it's not really, we, we bring a, a, a little bit to the table, but it's really, uh, the writer directors. I mean, they devote themselves to these stories and it's a miracle that, you know, someone like Ramin would work this hard 
for these, you know, to, to get these people's story out there, you mm -hmm. know, knowing that there may not ultimately be any reward for him whatsoever, mm -hmm. just out of sheer devotion and, and compassion for, mm. for other people. It's really moving. Well, I appreciate Michael saying that, but of course the actors have made decisions to come be in this film, I think for a lot of those reasons. And there, these movies are nothing without actors. I mean, mm. look at another great film that I liked and looked at was, you know, on the waterfront and mm. that's based on real, real reporting work. That's based on real journalism work, based on a lot of corruption on the, on the longshore. But we don't think about that first. We think about what a great actor Marlon Brando yeah, was right. and, and the entire cast. And we think about the great okay. story and the great characters. And then, we think about, oh, that was based on a lot of reporting work and based on a corruption. And in fact, I think there were some real longshoremen there were, yeah, in yeah, that yeah, movie, yeah, so that's yeah, very interesting. That's right. Yeah. It's a uh, film I really love. Oh, terrific. It's funny. I was just talking with, uh, we're working to do something with Eva Marie Saint, so today oh, we were oh, just wow, thinking wow, about wow, that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, but uh, now this may, I don't want to be overly simplistic with this next question, but I know, and I know you've gotten it probably more times than you than you care to remember, Michael, but like you have played in, as Rami in reference, a number of quote unquote bad guys in movies. So first of all, why do you think that is? And B, uh, ultimately now that the movie's out of your hands, you, you can sit there as a viewer and watch it. Do you feel that it's fair to call Raymond Carver or Rick Carver a, uh, a bad guy? I love that. Raymond, Raymond, Carver. Car Raymond Carver's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I gotta recover. Okay. Um hmm. I don't know. I don't judge people. I mean I think the world is a horrifying place and it's full of people that are struggling to do the best they can and you get a lot of curveballs thrown your way we all do and the only way I ever look at any character I've ever played is is as a, a person a citizen of the world you know I don't um, I don't know I mean like I played a lot of bad guys well, I played Dave Carnes in World Trade Center. Now, there's a guy who's very intense. Was he a bad guy? He went down to ground zero and excavated cops out of the, the rubble. I don't know where this... I just don't know where it comes from. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did play Richard Kuklinski. <laughs> but, um, like, you bring up Take Shelter. I mean, Curtis, I think, is a very decent human yeah, being. Yeah, great. I mean, I don't know where it comes from. I literally don't know. I feel like it's like a phantom, where the idea that you phantasmagorical thing. I think it's just because you're a, in, an intense actor. People I'm get a very confused. intense guy. Yeah. But that's yeah, maybe particularly on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> maybe because I'm gonna put I'm gonna get a comedy out of other than Kangaroo Jack. I would like for Michael to do a comedy with me. <laughs> me and Ramin are gonna remake Animal Crackers. Yeah, <laughs> that's our next project. Kangaroo Jacker. Yeah. Um, no, but I do. We do Kangaroo have a couple projects. We have two or three projects we want to do together, and I, I oh, will. That's great. I will promise you that one of them will be Michael, with his hair down and in Bermuda shorts. <laughs> Hangover four. Hangover four. <laughs> I, that sounds like a really good project for me to do. I've been waiting for it my whole career. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's what I've been building towards. Well, unless lest anyone think that Michael, if they mistakenly think that Michael, I did play Kim Fowley, who apparently that's a that's a tough one. Because apparently he he really did do some 
pretty <laughs> reprehensible things, which is is awkward. Remind me but which now that he's character dead. was those the which movie? Kim Fowley is in the Runaways. Oh yeah, he's the manager yes, of yes, yes. producer of the Runaways. Right. Well, I think people also need to what what is it really speaks to your range and abilities as an actor, and also the fact that you know what a what a year you've had is tonight. Another movie is premiering across town called Freeheld, yes, and sir. you're playing in that movie a guy who I don't think anybody would mistake as a bad guy. No, Dane Wells is a pretty decent fella. Yeah. Maybe if if you don't mind, can we just take a moment and share what what your character, who you are in that film as well? Sure. Freeheld is the story of Laurel Hester. She was a police detective in Ocean County, New Jersey. She was uh, gay. She kept it a secret from her coworkers. Uh, I play her partner, uh, Dane Wells. Uh, we did undercover work together, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then. Um, she develops uh well first of all she meets a woman stacy and falls in love and uh they move in together still the whole time keeping it a secret from the force and then uh and then laurel gets sick she develops cancer and uh eventually she finally tells me that she's gay and uh, or tells dane mm-hmm. and uh and then she tells me she's sick and she wants to give her pension to her domestic partner, but the freeholders of Ocean County, it's like our town council or whatever, they, they deny her that privilege. So we, we, we fight to get Stacy Laurel's pension. Mm. And I saw yes. it in Toronto, and people are extremely moved by it. I don't think I've ever heard so many people crying in a theater. Yeah, I, I was a mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and very powerful. And again, yeah, and you're character is a very heroic guy in that one so um quite a contrast uh in in just one year but um to close up i I, to wrap up i want to ask each of you just coming back to 99 homes um what it is that if if it was up to you when people leave this movie uh as it expands around the country they go and see it as they leave what do you hope they will be thinking or doing differently in their own lives and and do you think it actually can change anything do you hope that it it can uh in some way make it make this type of a situation less likely so michael do you want to go first sure um well yeah i think it's um i think it's a pretty good reminder that you have to pay attention you know you can't take things for granted um you can't assume that the system is going to take care of you or that it has your best interest at heart because it probably doesn't and you can't um you can't wait for somebody else to change things. You have to, you have to take the initiative yourself. Or I mean, can it can it make things better? Um, it's very tough to answer, answer that as a filmmaker, but um, and I and I I don't like to answer that with any of my films, but in this one situation, I will say definitively yes. Okay. And the reason is, um, the distributor Broadgreen has launched a campaign called Ninety Nine Good Deeds, and they're doing um good deeds and putting money into the pockets of people who are in situations like Andrew Garfield and Laura Dern find themselves in the film. Um, Lynn Simoniak is a fraud attorney. I did a lot of research with her. She's um, sued the banks for $100 million and won. You may have seen her on 60 Minutes. Mm-hmm. She created a non-for-profit with her winnings and based on the trailer alone somebody donated $20,000 to wow. her. And I just had a recently a screening in, for the tech industry in San Francisco and Silicon Valley and one of the people attending that event 
is also now going to donate to Lynn's non-for-profit. So in this case, I can say definitively yes. That's great. The only other thing I would ask of audiences who see the film is if they like it, to tell 99 of their friends to see it. <laughs> and if they don't like it, just right. tell their enemies. That's right. no problem. <laughs> well, I guess the fastest way to do that is probably Facebook it or Twitter it or Please. something. Yeah, right? Because, you know, it's, it's a... It's a word-of-mouth film, and yep. it's doing great. As I mentioned, the polls are very high, and yep. for people to see this, we need people to talk about it. So I appreciate you talking about it right now. Oh, thank you for coming thank and doing you. this, both of you. It's, oh, and thanks for asking your dad to see the film. That was very nice. <laughs> it was, he you. enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and I think uh, everyone else will as well. So appreciate you guys coming in. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. Scott. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.